So today we are going to be looking at the book of Galatians, chapter 3. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can go ahead and click to those now. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute, but... uh, but the, I, I just wanted to, to start and anticipate this text. This is important. The, 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 the chapter and the verse that we're going to be reading specifically, and the verses around that, that text are important to who we are. They, I, I, want you, I want you to be ready for this. Like this is, this is an, be, like anticipate what God is going to say. Because in, in Galatians chapter 3, we... We get a piece of, of our, our, our theology. We, we find out exactly who we are at our core level as, as free Methodists and, and as followers of Jesus. And so uh, I, I actually wanted to just spend a, a second talking about the free Methodist church because this text, we, like, we hold this text high. We hold this text as sacred, especially in our denomination because Free Methodists were birthed out of the abolitionist movement. We were birthed out of the anti-slavery movement. Our, our founder, B.T. Roberts, was a, a free Methodist pastor. I'm going to move this over because I want to I have freedom. Um, <laughs> our founder, B.T. Roberts, was, was uh, kicked out of the Methodist Episcopal Church in the, in the 1800s because he opposed pew taxes and he opposed slavery uh, in, in the church. And so he was kicked out of the church. He was uh, stripped of his pastorate. And, uh, and, and if you don't know what a pew tax is, a pew tax is where the church, instead of taking tithes and offerings, uh, we would, uh, it would be like if, if everyone that sat in the most desirable seats, so not the front row, but the back row maybe, uh, but everyone that sat in the most desirable seats, you paid for your, for your seat in church. And, uh, and, and, and we'll, what B.T. Roberts found as as really an evil in, in this was it naturally segregated the wealthy people from the poor. And it naturally segregated white people from, from black people and Latinos and Asians. It, it naturally created division amongst the church. And so B.T. Roberts spoke against this because he saw it as something that is evil. And so when, when he uh, was removed from his pastorate, he and a bunch of other like-minded pastors uh, formed what we now call the Free Methodist Church. And we as a denomination uh, and as a congregation of Free Methodists, we have something that we call our five core freedoms. And, and I'm only going to spend a little bit of time on three. Uh, but I, I think that these really help shape who we are. These give us our core values. They are our core freedoms. They, they are integral to who we are. So the first one is if I can get it. The freedom of all races to worship and live together in unity. The second one is the freedom of women to participate fully in the life, ministry, and governance of the church as called and gifted by God. This means as pastors as well as board members and teachers and any level of leadership and service. We also have the freedom, uh, we, we uh, affirm the freedom of the poor to be treated with dignity in the church and with justice in the world. These might seem like obvious, but they, they haven't been for, for years, hundreds of years. And so this is something that is core to who we are as free Methodists. So I, I just want to spend a couple minutes because this is why I'm a free Methodist. 
The, these core values, when I became, when I started the classes, when I started meeting with, with pastors and talking about what do you, what do we believe, this is, this is kind of what got me. This is what makes us different. And so, if you do have your Bibles, if you haven't turned already, turn to chapter uh, 3, verse 23 in Galatians. Uh, I just wanted to spend a couple minutes really, like, emphasizing this is important, and these are the reasons this is important. So, let's go ahead and read the text. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed, so that the law be Uh, became our custodian until Christ so that we might be made righteous by faith. But now that faith has come and we are no longer under a custodian, you are all God's children through faith in Christ. And this next verse, guys, this next verse, this is the climax of, of of this chapter. This is the most important part, so pay attention here, okay? Chapter, or verse 28, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is good stuff. As we we jump into the text, I really want, uh, like, I'll be honest, I had to go back and reread this, like, chunk of scripture, like, three or four times before I got, like, the first sentence. Um, because it's dense. Like, Paul, Paul kind of speaks in roundabout ways sometimes. He's hard. Uh, but, but this last verse seems pretty straightforward, right? It, it seems pretty, like, clear-cut, like, no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female. However, I don't think that Paul is trying to trivialize the differences or the, the distinctions that make us unique, the, the things that, that differentiate people from, from other people especially in the city of Galatia and in the Roman Empire, where the Roman Empire had many, many civilizations all under its rule. And they they had free trade and kind of went back and forth. And so there were so many different cultures in all these different cities, and it made for a very diverse population. And so I, I would love for us to just kind of look at this text literally. If Paul was saying that literally there is no Jew or Greek anymore, ethnicity and culture don't, don't exist because Jesus came, I wouldn't have a story to share. Um, so the other day I was telling someone uh, about this really cool parody that I saw, and I think it's hilarious. It's called The Asian Bachelorette, and it, it's kind of poking fun at the, at the fact that there are, like, out of 13 seasons uh, of The Bachelorette, there have been 325 bachelors, like, all vying for the, for the attention of one woman each season. Uh, and in those 13 seasons, out of 325 men, only three of them have been Asian. And, I know, right? And so, <laughs> and so like, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is really funny because it's pointing out, like, a hard truth. And this, this person just kind of replied, well, Maybe that's because Asians, like, Asian guys aren't cute. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm Asian. <laughs> and, and, and the response was, well, I don't think of you that way. <laughs> and so 
I just wanted to take a minute and uh, I pulled together a few slides just to show you that Asians are, uh, are, can be just as attractive as anyone else. Um, and so if you find, if, if, you're, if you're concerned you like, someone looks on my computer and finds like a weird search history of like attractive Asian men, this is why. Like, and, and, and don't worry, I like, I promise I've removed all the shirtless pictures. I don't want to cause anyone to stumble, you know, I mean, First off, can we just admire these two men? Like, dang. And it just gets better. I mean, come on. Look at these guys. Hunks. <laughs> Rihanna. <laughs> Gosh, she, she messes with my slides. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just, I couldn't resist. Uh, so, so, so I'm sorry for the little tangent. I, I, my point being, we, we obviously still identify people at, with cultures and with ethnicity, right? Like these are beautiful things that we, we do still identify people as. And sometimes they are destructive um, because we, we view in stereotypes. But there are clearly still these distinctions between ethnicity and culture. Well, so how about when Paul says there are, not, there are neither slave nor free? What do we do with that when we look at Ephesians and we see Paul telling slaves to obey your masters in respect and fear? Let alone, okay, well, we have that, but maybe that was just at the time. Okay, well, what do we do then with the next 2,000 years where slavery has existed predominantly in Christian nations. Maybe that's too, too much. Let's move on to the next phrase that Paul uses. Uh, this. Sorry, I don't even think I, oh, I do. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to move it back. Sorry. Uh, how about there are neither male nor female? Like Paul. Clearly, there are still male and females here, I'm assuming. Um, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. But if Paul isn't being literal, if Paul's not being literal here, he must mean something deeper than just the words on the page, right? If there are clearly still Jews and Gentiles, or just non-Jews, people that are not Jewish, if there are still clearly slaves and, and free people, they're still clearly male and female, and we got to look at something, something else, right? And I, I think that, that, that we can kind of, we can figure out what Paul's trying to say, what Paul is saying, when we look at the overall reasoning of why Galatians was written in the first place. And so, pardon me for a moment while I, I confess, um, Paul is sometimes not my favorite person. Uh, I don't always like the Apostle Paul, uh, because you have you guys ever experienced someone that, like, just has a really annoying habit? Like, Paul has a really annoying habit that just irks me. It's like if you come home and your roommate or your spouse is, like, clipping their toenails and leaving them on the floor or on the table. Yeah, it's gross, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you have a friend that when you're asked to describe them, all you can say, honestly, is they're They're loud. And if you don't have that friend, you're probably that friend. Um, <laughs> and, or, or maybe, 
I have many of these friends in my life. They're grown adults, and they still chew with their mouths open. Like, these annoying habits, they don't deter or de- uh, detract from their, the goodness of that person. Like, it doesn't make them worse. It just makes me slightly less inclined to hang out with them. Um, and, and Paul has one of these annoying habits. Every time I read the, the, one of his epistles, one of his letters to a church, he has this habit of, of kind of having to defend his, his authority as, as an apostle of Jesus. He spends significant time trying to say, like, no, I am an apostle. I might not be one of the 12, but I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He spends lots of time doing this. And I'm just like, dude, get over yourself. Like, move on. But <laughs> I know you're like, oh, heretic. Um, but, but he does this for a reason. And, and specifically in the book of Galatians, Paul is speaking to this church that he planted that kind of turned away from, G- from Paul. They, they, they took his message and then kind of just rejected him. And he planted this church. So I understand he, these are people he, he brought to Jesus, or that Jesus used to bring them to him. And, and he feels betrayed. They've turned against him, taking kind of his most important thing that he, has, he taught and, and rejected it entirely. And so he writes this letter, and it's, if you go back and read the whole of Galatians, it, like, it's pretty intense. Paul uses some colorful language there. Uh, and, but I, I understand. I don't like it, but I understand. He, he feels betrayed. And, and this is why. The, the most important thing that Paul taught, the most important thing that Paul really de- more fully developed than anyone else in our, in our scriptures is this thing called justification by faith. And justification by faith says that is this idea that Jesus, the Son of God, came, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead so that we might have relationship with him and with God. So that we might receive God's favor regardless of what we've done. We don't have to do anything to receive God's favor. That is this this. this deep and foundational theology of justification by faith. And this is what we as Christians believe. And, and, and this, this was huge in the ancient world where religion and faith were largely lived out of almost exclusively like these, these rigorous and complex traditions and rituals. Like it, it was hard to be, to be included in a faith that you didn't grow up in because you didn't know the rituals. You didn't know what to do, how to do it. If you're visiting here, you might have seen people raising their hands in worship and been like, what? What are they doing? They look dumb. Um, sorry. Uh, but like, there are, there are rituals. There are things that people did that you wouldn't really get explained to. It, it would just be part of what we did in our faith. Maybe that's actually what we do now. Maybe we don't explain what we do all that well. That could be a problem. But... Um, but this is what, what the Gentiles, or what the Galatians are doing. Um, it, it, sorry, let me backtrack. So justification by faith is this thing that Paul really, like, he really puts on. He, he really believes in it because his mission, the mission that he states in the, in the gospel is 
to the Gentiles, to the people that are not Jewish, that, don't, that aren't on the inside. Jesus came as a, as a Jewish rabbi, as a male Jewish rabbi. He was in culture. He was part of a culture, and, and he kind of knew the rituals. He, he assumed that his followers knew the rituals, knew the traditions. But when you're talking to Gentiles that didn't grow up as Jews, they, they're like, what? Like, why? why? Like, why do we eat bread and wine and call it blood and body of Jesus? Are we cannibals? Like, what, what are we doing? Um, and so one of the most important aspects of Paul's ministry was that he didn't force Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to follow Jewish uh, customs that would make it harder for them to follow Jesus. Let me say that again, okay? Slow down. Paul didn't force non-Jews to follow Jewish customs that would make it harder for them to then follow Jesus. That was core to who Paul was and what he was trying to accomplish. And, and so let's just take an example. Circumcision is the most like talked about thing in, in the New Testament because it was controversial. It was like, it was uncomfortable, to say the least, for adults trying to convert to, to Christianity. If you were told that you had to get circumcised, I'd be like, ha, done. Like, I'm out. And, and because it's painful. It's not, it's not an attractive quality to have in your, in your initiation. Like, hey, you want to come follow this Jesus guy? Like, we got to do some fun stuff. Um, <laughs> and not only that, like, circumcision is anatomically exclusive to males. So, like, women weren't even included in the, in the fun part of initiation. So, like, don't get me started. So mad about that. But, but the church in Galatia decided that if you want to follow Jesus, we're not going to listen to Paul. You have to go through all these little hoops. You have to get circumcised if you're a male. You, like, you have to jump through all these little hoops if you want to follow Jesus. If you want life with God, if you want truth, eh, you got to jump through lots of hoops that might make it harder for you to follow Jesus. There's, there's a sense of exclusivity that was rotting the church from the inside. And so this is why, this is why Paul called them out, because this is exactly the thing that made Christianity special and unique. Jesus invites us, he, like he doesn't rely on race or gender or socioeconomic status to determine who is in and who is out. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't rely on, on race, gender, or socioeconomic status to determine who is in and who is out. And if you're in, it doesn't determine what's, where you sit, where, like when you speak, how you serve, what you do. Race, gender, and, uh, and socioeconomic status don't really determine those things in the body of Christ. And so Paul writes to the, to the Galatians about, about this law, uh, the, Mo, the law of Moses. And he says, so why was the law given? This is the, this is, the law is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And this is the thing that, that the Galatians are saying, no, you've got to follow this if you want to be a follower of Jesus. These are, the, these are the social customs that you have to learn and enact perfectly if you want to be included in the family of God. And so Paul writes to the Galatians saying about the law, so, uh, so why was the law given? It was added because of offenses. Until the descendant would come to whom the promise had been made. 
So is the law against the promises of God? Absolutely not. If the law had been given that if if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would in fact have come from the law. But scripture locked up all things under sin, so that the promise based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ might be given to those who have faith. He's telling the Galatians that the law was made because humans sinned against God. But its purpose was to be fulfilled. Its purpose was not to just, that's that's the only means by which we will encounter God forever, but to say, hey, like, we need to point out where where we're falling short here. We We need to anticipate a time when that won't be the case, when you won't need me because things will be perfected. And so the law is in no way bad, but it's limited. It doesn't solve this problem we call sin. It doesn't solve the, the, the evils of the world. It just says, hey, that's evil. Like, stop it, or you're going to be punished. All it can do is guard and tutor and, and, and kind of semi-parent or punish us. But the thing is, the law was created simply to point out sinfulness, but it did nothing to correct it. It did nothing to heal our world from sin. It just existed to point out sin. So Paul gives us a, a good image of what, the, the, what God's intention was for the law. It says, Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed so that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we might be made righteous by faith. And this is, this is the best. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. Another way to put this is that now that adoption has been completed, now that Jesus has come and died and risen again for us so that we can be included in the family of God, we no longer need a babysitter. We, we're, we're, we're no longer only held to these, these uh, supervised visits with our Father and the law kind of looking down on us, making sure that we don't have any missteps like some abusive caregiver. Instead, now that Jesus has come, we are, we are like children and invited to spend constant and immediate relationships with God, with our Father. This is the message that attracted people to Jesus. This is the message that originally attracted people to Christ. And this is also the message that the, that the, uh, that the Galatians rejected from Paul. And so rather than offering freedom under Christ— as adopted children, the church in Galatia decided to require obedience to this law, the, the rules, the rule book, the, the thing that's telling them, you're sinning, you're bad, stop it. So Paul ha- has to explain this further. He has, to, he has to tell the Gentiles, or the Galatians, wow, I keep doing that. He keeps telling the Galatians, this is, this is, this is the truth. Are you ready for this? You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's purpose in ministry was to bring about the inclusion of all people. All people of the world into the family of God fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham way back in, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. 
he, said, he tells Abraham, you will be a blessing to, you'll be a blessing to the world, to the people of this world. Every family on earth will be blessed because of you, through you. Because Christ came and freed his people from the law, all people are offered inclusion in not only God's kingdom, but in God's family, in God's immediate family. He calls us sons and daughters. In fact, the, the language used here isn't just sons and, sons and daughters or children. It's, it's this word uh, that, that means heir. You are the oldest male child, whether you're male or female. Like, you are the oldest male child. You are in the, the inheritor of all of my possessions. You are the inheritor of all of my promises. You, each and every individual, inherits everything I have. That is the promise that God, that Christ fulfilled. And so, we as the church, our, our, our commission is to offer inclusion to all peoples, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic status, into this family without regard for what they are currently doing. We invite them in. And you and I will still be unique individuals with unique cultures and histories and families and stories. Paul doesn't argue for colorblindness in this text. Even though he said, like, he's saying there's no Greek or no Jew, no, no slave, no free, no male and no female, I would argue that he's not arguing for colorblindness and uniformity. Like, if this was the vision that God gave to Paul, we would all be circumcised. We would all be, like, going through the same Jewish customs— everywhere, the same exact ones. We'd all dress and talk and act exactly the same. But that's not the case. Instead, Paul tells us that the, the people, that all people are to be included in the church exactly as they are, regardless of their race, gender, or socioeconomic status. I think that Paul could be translated saying, there is Jew and Greek. There is slave and free. There is male and female. But the point the point is, you are all one in Christ. And if you are one in Christ, then you are heirs and inheritors according to the promise that God made to Abraham. And that promise, again, that promise is that, God, uh, that you will be a blessing to the, to the world. That Abraham's descendants and his people would be a blessing to this world. God's promise wasn't that they would be the world or that they would look like the world or that they would take over the world. It was that they would be a blessing to the people of the world. And so, let me spring. I'm going to invite us into a time of just response. And I would love for a couple of volunteers to just share how have, how have we been a blessing and how can we be a blessing to the world, to the people of this world? Not even just the people in here or not just other churches. How can we be a blessing? How have we been a blessing? Be the church. Yeah, it's a great event. Once a year, right? Toys for Tots. Toys for Tots. Yeah, we have hundreds of kids that, that get to experience, and families that get to experience Christmas and, and the joy of giving and receiving gifts together because Toys for Tots. Backpacks, yeah. We, we just talked about that. Kid, like a bunch of our, our students have received backpacks and, and school supplies. Carnival. Yeah, the carnival, the carnival was just a fun event, wasn't it? It was just so much fun. Feeding the homeless. Yeah. 
bathing the homeless. Yeah, we have showers that we offer every week, twice a week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we are all about prayer here, but we also take action. Yeah. Those are really good things, guys. Thank you. And, and, and so I, I would love to share, uh, share a blessing that I received recently. And not all blessings are, are wrapped up in nice, pretty packages. They don't always feel super great. Uh, something that, that, uh, that happened to me in college um, I was working with a youth group in Santa Barbara uh, from freshman to junior year. And let's just say I was part of a leadership team that um, could be more healthy. Uh, wasn't exactly ideal. But the youth pastor and I didn't always see eye to eye. <laughs> um, and and, and it, I, I was angry and frustrated and vented to, a, to quite a few people throughout that year because it, it was just so, it was so hard being part of a ministry team that just was not functioning. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't good. Um, and and members, members and leaders in the church often realize, like, oh, there's something going on over here. Let's, like, let's try to diagnose it and fix it. And we, like, they would come and tell us their ideas and be like, he, yeah, you don't get it. Like, you don't know what's happening. And so we, like, did not receive that. And finally it got to the point where the leaders in our church— uh, they realized, like, okay, we're not going to fix this on our own. And so they brought in this person named Kelly Soifer. You might remember her from a couple weeks ago. She's awesome. Uh, and her job was to assess our church. It was to assess the church and the youth group and figure out, like, okay, what's going on here? Like, why is there this, this degree of unhealth? And so what she, what she did is she spent the next couple weeks making appointments, meeting with every single student in our group, all, all the leaders, most of the leaders in the church, most of the staff and faculty, pastors, even just uh, even parents and uh, people that didn't have anything to do with the, the youth group, but even just to see how is the youth group viewed in the church. And so she spent a lot of time trying to assess and figure out what, like, what are we, what's going on here? And a week later, uh, a week after she finished, she, she and I set up a meeting, and she just told me, like, hey, you're you're part of the problem in this ministry. You have contributed to the unhealth by refusing to stop your students from gossiping about, about the youth pastor. Uh, and you might have even contributed to the gossip once or a dozen times. Um, and, <laughs> and, and what she said next was like the most heartbreaking thing for me. She, she said, you have contributed to making your youth group an unsafe place. You have contributed to making your church an unsafe place, and you have put barriers in front of people who are trying to experience Jesus. People will not experience Jesus because you are in the way. And so she blessed me in all those encounters, in, in those moments. Um, <laughs> she blessed me in that because she, she helped make me a better youth leader. She, I, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm a better youth pastor today because of that hard conversation. She, she blessed me because after that conversation, we were able to start tearing down some of those barriers, some of those walls that we've built up, keeping people out, that pushed people away, that made it harder for them to follow Jesus because I was in the way. 
So church, when, when we're putting up barriers as a church, uh, we're hurting people. We are very really hurting people. We are literally doing the opposite of blessing the people of the world. And so we do need to, we need to call that out. We must tell one another when we're putting up those barriers and we're hurting real people. Because that's going to that's gonna be what makes it harder for them to follow Jesus. I'm not saying that we have to affirm everyone's lifestyle here. I'm not saying that we have to agree on everything. But what I am saying is, church, beloved, the, the church in America often feels and looks like the church in Galatia. Let me say that hard thing again. The church in America often looks and feels and sounds like the church in Galatia putting up barriers in front of people that are trying, that would love to experience Jesus. We here, we're, most of us are, are here now. We get to experience the joy and the pleasure and the, and the peace of, of presence with God, of worshiping God just as we are, of experiencing Jesus just as we are. So my question would be, who in our, in our country, who in our cities, who in our neighborhoods are, are being left out? Who are being excluded? Who have we built barriers for? I think of my black friends who many times this year have told me that this year especially has been exceptionally difficult. That literally they have heard, you are not white enough. I think of, uh, of my old coworker uh, and friend who is, is gay and he the first time we met, he found out I'm a pastor, and his first question to me was, what do you think of gay people? And through, like, <laughs> through working together, through building a relationship, and, and I learned a lot of his story, and that he was brought up in a Christian home, and that he's since left the church because he has been told by the church and people in the church that he is just not straight enough to follow Jesus. I think of, uh, of another colleague who's a minister in uh, Chicago, and I've heard her speak multiple times, and she often talks about the reason that, uh, and she works sp- specifically with, with kids in gangs. Talk about a hard ministry. And she, she tells, she speaks about the reason that people join gangs, that her kids join gangs most often is because it is the only entity that's reaching out to them. It's the only place that offers them a place to to belong and a people to belong to. So church, why? Why are people feeling or being left out? Why are they being excluded from the family of God? The same God that has called them children, sons and daughters, heirs of his promise. And so if we're, if we're heirs of the promise made to Abraham, telling him that he will be a blessing, and through him every family on earth will be blessed, why have he made it so difficult for some people to follow Jesus? To receive the blessing he offers freely. To have faith and be saved. I, I, I see this happen a lot. And so um, what I'd like for us to be asking ourselves today, what I'm asking myself today is, what barriers have I built up? What barriers have I put in front of others for them to have to hurdle or that are just plain out stopping them from, from following Jesus? That's what I, ha- I have us ask, for, ask ourselves today and this week. 
And if you are here today having experienced barriers yourselves, having experienced barriers that have hindered you from following Jesus, I am here to tell you today that there are no barriers high enough to keep you from Jesus that are, that are meant to stop you from following him. He, he gave his life so that you could have a relationship with him, so that there would be no more barriers hindering you from encountering Jesus. You are the most important person to him right here and right now. And he desires deeply to be invited into your life. So if that is you, I, I would just encourage you, put on your connection card that, um, that you'd like to talk or uh, come find me after church. We, I, I would love to just pray with you and, um, and invite Jesus into your life. But I, I, I say this because honestly, Living Spring is, is a really great place to experience Jesus. That, and, and I'm not saying that just because I'm the pastor, kind of, but not really. Uh, in most ways, when I talk about barriers, I'm not talking about living spring. I'm not talking just about us here at church. I, I'm, I love being a pastor here. Aside from seeing your lovely faces every week, I love being a pastor here because living spring is a place that says, I can belong before believing, right? It's part of our mission statement. I can belong before believing. I can come and visit and see and talk with Jesus and his disciples, the people that follow him, before I decide I want to believe. I, I, can, I can come and eat and learn from, from these people before I, I confess that he is Lord. Uh, and, and then when faith does come, we find ourselves believing in uh, believing. The church and God are still okay with us wrestling and asking questions and having, and having really hard conversations and even disagreeing sometimes. And that's okay because we, we belong and then we believe. And, and then we say as a church that, that, you're, that we believe in transformation, that God will transform. But here's the kicker. We don't get to decide how God transforms people. We don't get to decide that. I, and I'm really thankful because if there were a bunch of me's out there like destroying my youth group, I'd be upset. Um, <laughs> our only responsibility is to share the good news, share the gospel, to love our neighbors and to live lives that invite others to see the goodness and glory of our God. For the last two and a half years I, that I've been working here, I, that's what I've seen. That's, that's largely what I've seen. And it has been so good. But let me tell you, there are, there's still work to be done. There are still my friends out there that are being told that you're just too gay enough. You're too gay to follow Jesus. You're too black to follow Jesus. You're too Asian to get on that reality show. Um, <laughs> and it may take a long time to change the, the way that the church and that Christians are perceived. But I got to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it because our Jesus is worth it. Because he is, he's the one that has invited us, uh, that has invited specifically those who are weary, those who are heavy burdened, to come and he promises rest and community. I believe that we as a church can continue to reach the hard to reach people. We can continue to, to 
to welcome those who like try really hard not to not to belong, not to even want to belong. So, if you're here for the first time, second time, hundredth time, and you're just visiting, trying to decide if this whole church and Jesus thing is for you, let me just tell you, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Our worship, our community is made better because you are here. Our church is a really good place. It's a safe place. And we, love, we, we just love to keep seeing you. Um, and my friends, I... I am so deeply in love with Living Spring. I'm so deeply in love with each and every one of you, and I'm so grateful for this last, these last three months and last three years that I've gotten to be here and learn and grow and, and grow as a pastor and as a person. Um, I just have so many role models in the faith and, and people that I look up to here, and so I'm just grateful. And, and I, some of the, I, I hope that nothing I've said is, it has caused you to, to turn off or to stop listening or to be angry. Because I, 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 I've only just read the text, and I, I'm, I'm, I say this in love because you guys are such a safe place for me. And I just want this, I want this church and all churches to continue being a safe place for everyone. Because that's what, that's what Jesus has called us to. So let me pray for us, and we'll continue with our last song of worship as Ajwa, uh, as Ajwa I believe, has a poem that she's going to read. Um, Father God, we are so grateful that you are here, that you are speaking and not me. I'm just so glad that, that I've gotten to be a, a pastor here, that I've gotten the experience to lead and to, uh, to be led in this community. I pray for each and every person that has heard and experienced you today. I pray that, that our church is made stronger, that people experience you not because of our worship, not because of my speaking, not because we have really good donuts every once in a while, but God, because you are good and you have invited all people to be children. You have invited us to be inheritors, heirs of your promise. You've promised life and life abundantly, God. I pray that our church and our community continues to be a safe place that we become a safer place. Not that we don't have incidents. That, not, that we, not that we exclude people that, that just aren't safe. But God, I pray that, that through, you, through you, people find belonging. People find purpose. People find meaning and life in this place. We love you. We affirm that you are God. You are our Father. And we seek you. Thank you.